Hey, at Time Bandits, Meli Kalikimaka is apparently a thing to say at this time of year, even though the phrase isn't actually Merry Christmas in Hawaiian. It was created by Robert Alex Anderson for Bing Crosby in 1949, but it sounds kind of legit, so we run with it. Meli Kalikimaka. Meli Kalikimaka is a thing to say on a bright Hawaiian Christmas day. I don't know, I'm not big on Christmas. But I acknowledge that Christmas is, in fact, a thing that many people do. Not to mention all the other holidays which are happening at the same time of year, if that happens to be your jam. Personally, I'd like to see a resurgence of Saturnalia or Mithras, but you enjoy whatever floats your boat and enjoy my encouragement to do so. Season's greetings. Anyway, in the spirit of the season, this is what I'm going to do. As you're probably aware, since I push it in each and every show, I have a Patreon page. This is where ultra-cool people go and they pay me a token amount of money every month, and in return, they get a bunch of extra stuff. Like a weekly history quiz, or me personally pressuring them to buy tickets to my live shows. Yes, superliminal advertising does work, just ask Grant. But you have recruiting ads on TV. Why do you need subliminal messages? Uh, it's a three-pronged attack. Subliminal, liminal, and superliminal. Superliminal? I'll show you. <laughs> hey, you! Join the Navy! Uh, yeah, all right. I'm in. But the main thing with the Patreon is that patrons, my precious, precious Medicis, they get a bonus show each and every month. That's right, an extra HGT just for them, every single month. And I don't slack off with those shows like I do with this one. Once money gets involved, I get all professional. So, in the spirit of giving, I'm going to gift everyone else one of those sexy bonus shows. That's right, you're getting one of the Patreon Elite shows. This one has been a favorite of those elite cognoscenti of Patreons, and now, in the generous spirit of this season of generosity, I am allowing everyone to enjoy this one particular show because it is an absolute banger, mate. And all of my amazing patrons, they all unanimously, generously allowed me to do this because I never actually asked them if they were cool with it, and now they're all going to look like Scrooges if they object. So that's what's happening. That's what we call a next-level capitalist maneuver. Getting hoodwinked on the holidays. Isn't that fun? <laughs> so Merry Christmas, everyone. Happy holidays, and enjoy one of the Patreon-exclusive bonus shows, which is now an Xmas treat for everyone. The teaser for this show, and the very loose tangential tie-in, is this. I don't know if you know this, but there's some random trivia that you might have come across in your travels across the Intertrons. In Japan, it's a Christmas Day tradition for families to get together and indulge themselves in a 21-piece bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken. That's their Christmas tradition. That's how they do it in Japan. Whereas we, in Australia, we might go down to the beach and have a barbecue and play cricket, or people in America and Europe might gather around the fire and enjoy a brandy, in Japan, people go down to KFC and buy some fried chicken off Colonel Harlan Sanders. And this is important, because Harlan Sanders, of all people, 
is actually a relatively important figure in Japanese culture. In fact, the ghost of Colonel Harlan Sanders haunts Japanese baseball to this day and has actually cursed a Japanese baseball team to suffer for eternity. So here we go. This is a Japanese ghost story involving Colonel Harlan Sanders. Giddy up! Right off the top, I am going to tease the denouement of this show straight up, because this show is going to need some context, and in building that context, the nature of that context might be off-putting to some of you, because you might dismiss this narrative out of hand and say, ah, it's not for me, when in fact it might actually be for you, because initially, I'm going to be talking about sport. And maybe sport's not your jam. I understand it's not everyone's jam. But that's deceptive, because the show, not actually about sport. Sport's just the framing device. This show is, ultimately, a Japanese ghost story, where the ghost in question is none other than the angry specter of Harlan Sanders. Yes, that Harlan Sanders, the colonel from Kentucky Fried Chicken. This is a Kentucky Fried Chicken ghost story that takes place in Japan. At least I have chicken. So that's coming, but first, we're going to need some sport. So, all I'm saying is, don't hit eject just yet. Things are about to get wild. One of my favorite movies of all time is Moneyball. Do you want me to speak? We're not pointing you yet. Moneyball is easily in the top 10 demo films ever. I watch it every couple of months. It's comfort food to me. One of my favorite books of all time is also Moneyball, but I like the movie even more than the book. They took a book that I like, added actors that I like, and then got Aaron Sorkin to give it the old best screenwriter ever polish, and that's Moneyball. I freaking love Moneyball. I am probably going to watch Moneyball again as soon as I stop recording this show. Why do you like him? Because he gets on base. Moneyball is a movie that, at face value, is all about baseball. Now, personally, I don't care much for baseball. I find it one of the most boring sports on the planet, and I'm a guy who will happily spend eight hours watching Test Match Cricket. But baseball... Baseball just doesn't do it for me. Moneyball, though. Moneyball isn't really about baseball. It's actually about maths. And that is precisely my jam. One problem that baseball has, and it's a problem in most team sports, is that there's a sort of a caste-based system to it. There are the haves and the have-nots. Money talks, and it says a lot. In my own preferred sport of rugby league, there's a very pronounced gap between the teams that have money and the teams that do not have the monies. And my team, my beloved South Sydney Rabbitohs, they're a good team now because they have a lot of money. And there were quite a few decades there where they didn't have money, and consequently, they ran last every year. Money talks. 
So Moneyball is all about a team in the United States called the Oakland Athletics, or Oakland A's. And they're a team that doesn't have a lot of money. And every year, the Oakland A's busted their guts and performed well above their pay grades, but every year they got crushed by the teams with the big money. And then all of their good players got poached by the teams with the big money, so every time the Oakland A's looked like they might have poked their heads above the clouds, the big shot teams would come in and cut them right down to size again. It's a tale as old as time itself, and it's common across pretty much every sport. I saw it for years with the Rabbitohs. You see it more than anywhere else in soccer. Just ask any Charlton Athletic fan out there what they think about Scott Parker. You see it a lot in baseball, but it's a common across every sport. The film-slash-book Moneyball is all about how the Oakland A's use the power of applied baseball mathematics, called sabermetrics, to create a team that didn't look glamorous, but they got the job done because of their statistical consistency across the board. It's about getting things down to one number. Using stats the way we read them, we'll find value in players that nobody else can see. And it's about how that team went on to break the record for most consecutive wins in baseball history, outshining the greatest teams in the history of baseball, all because they used maths instead of intuition and quote-unquote insider knowledge. And you can see how I'd be all in on that concept. I freaking love the maths. But this story isn't about sabermetrics. You can go straight to Michael Lewis for that. I recommend anything Michael Lewis does. He's awesome. I'm Michael Lewis. My show today uses baseball as a framing device. And the show today is all about curses Curses from from beyond beyond the grave. And how there's a surprising amount of crossover between curses Curses from from beyond beyond the grave and baseball. We just needed a grounding in how baseball broadly works in order for this narrative to take shape. One thing that gets mentioned in Moneyball is the Curse of the Bambino, which is a great bit of sporting folklore. It is, in my estimation, the second coolest curse in the history of baseball. And the curse of the Bambino goes something like this. It's been mythologized so much that the truth has taken a backseat to the legend, but I'm wagering that the actual truth as it happened wouldn't be interesting to most of you. It's a lot of, well, actually this happened in this year and not that year and blah, 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 blah. So I'll present to you now the legend in its most narrative form, the curse of the Bambino. There's a baseball team known as the Boston Red Sox. The Boston Red Sox are something that I'd wager most of my audience would be familiar with, even if they don't know it. The movie The Town with Ben Affleck revolved around the Red Sox. Uh, Family Guy features them a lot, and if you've ever played the video game Fallout 4, then the major hub in that game, Diamond City, is actually a post-apocalyptic version of the real-life baseball field Fenway Park, and Fenway Park is the home ground of the Boston Red Sox. So the Boston Red Sox, they crop up a lot, even if you don't know them. The Red Sox are one of the most famous teams in the world, of any sporting code. They're famous for the same reasons that most teams become famous. Just exposure, really. But there's one thing about the Red Sox that made them stand out. And it was the fact that the Boston Red Sox, despite being one of the most prestigious and successful teams in the history of baseball, 
the Boston Red Sox had not won a championship in nearly a century. They hadn't won in such a long time that the Red Sox winning the championship became shorthand for something that was never going to happen. They became a cultural phenomenon. It was like saying when pigs fly, as in, yeah, that'll happen, pause for effect, when the Red Sox win the title, hardy ha ha, aren't we all hilarious? It was never going to happen. It was ordained by the gods that the Red Sox would never again win at the balls of base. And the reason that they had not won in such a long time, despite coming oh so close, oh so many times, was known as the, the curse, curse of the of Bambino. Bambino. Even if you don't know anything about baseball, if you've consumed a smidgen of popular culture in your lives, you probably know that the most famous baseball player ever was a guy by the name of Babe Ruth. What Michael Jordan is to basketball, what Jack Nicklaus is to golf, what Muhammad Ali is to boxing, what Scott McLean is to rugby league, what Paley is to soccer, what Don Bradman is to cricket, that's what Babe Ruth is to baseball. Although, in the interest of transparency, if you look at the statistics of all the best sports people of all time and compare the percentages of the person in number one spot compared to second place, then statistically, Donald Bradman is the best athlete in any sport ever. Yeah, there you go. He's even better than Gretzky. Go the Don. But we're talking baseball here, and Babe Ruth was the best of all time in baseball. And to boot, he was a larger-than-life personality whose rampant drinking and womanizing made him one of the first-ever tabloid sensations. He was world-famous in his time, to the point that during the Second World War, the Japanese forces would yell, Babe Ruth is overrated, to try and demoralize US troops. That's how famous Babe Ruth was. And there are a surprising amount of history books about baseball during world wars that you wouldn't believe how many there are. That particular anecdote comes from Stephen Bullock's Playing for the Nation, which is in no way the only book on baseball during war. So Babe Ruth was the GOAT, the greatest of all time, and his nickname was the Bambino. Babe Ruth was famously baby-faced. He was short and chubby. Hence, he got called Babe Ruth instead of George Ruth. And Bambino is Italian for a chubby little baby, so Babe Ruth is the Bambino. That's why he be like he do. And that allows us to begin to understand the curse of the Bambino. And we begin to wonder why Babe Ruth would be some supernatural warlock to the Boston Red Sox. Sure, blame the wizards. Why would Babe Ruth curse the Boston Red Sox? Babe Ruth famously played for the New York Yankees. Everyone knows this. Everyone knows that Babe Ruth was a Yankee. Here, allow me to play a clip. I mean, what team was Babe Ruth on? Who knows? Yankees. See? Everyone knows that Babe Ruth played for the Yankees. And I should state that even though you can't actually see it, because this is an audio medium, but uh, even Maggie is saying Yankees in that clip. But Babe Ruth didn't always play for the Yankees. He actually originally played for the Boston Red Sox. Babe Ruth spent the first four years of his absolutely stellar career at Fenway Park. And then, in 1918, the Red Sox sold Babe Ruth's contract to the New York Yankees. He was traded out. Crazy, right? Let's practice. No. 
Yeah, I'm a player, and you got to cut me from the roster. No. Go. What do you mean, no? No. Do it. This is stupid. Part of the job, man. What do you think happens when you willingly sell the best player of all time to an opposing team? The New York Yankees, with Babe Ruth as their marquee player, went on to become one of the most successful and storied teams of all time in any sport, not just baseball. And the Boston Red Sox, who before 1918 were one of the most successful teams in baseball to that point, they wouldn't win again for another 86 years, to the point that they became a running joke in American culture. The truth is a lot more complex, of course, and it actually involves stage musicals, but I doubt you're actually interested in that part of it. Essentially, it came down to the fact that the Red Sox needed money and they were paying a fortune to keep Babe Ruth, so the only sensible fiscal decision at that time was to sell his contract, but history doesn't often care about logic, not when something as prosaic as the curse of the Bambino is concerned. And that's the curse of the Bambino. The Boston Red Sox sold the Bambino's contract and they would never win again. That's basically all there is to it. Eventually, the Boston Red Sox would go on to break the curse of the Bambino in 2004, using the power of applied mathematics and sabermetrics to build an unstoppable team and winning the title and inspiring the masterpiece that is Moneyball, the book and the film. And one of my favorite of all time. And that's the story of my second favorite baseball curse. But we needed to understand that to get to my favorite baseball curse. Because my favorite baseball curse is, well, buckle up. Buckle your seatbelt, Dorothy, because Kansas is going bye-bye. The only other place in the world that has really adopted baseball with anything approaching the fervor of Americans and Canadians is Japan. The Japanese love baseball, and they've loved it for a very long time. It wasn't something that came about because of the US occupation. Japan took to baseball straight out of the Meiji Restoration. Baseball in Japan actually predates the Second World War by a significant margin. And I'll address a misconception with a quick aside here. Something that gets bandied about a lot is the goal of the United States calling their baseball championship the, quote, World Series end quote, when there are only three countries in the world that play baseball. While that's broadly true, it's a bit of a factoid. The World Series of Baseball is named so because it was originally sponsored by the now-defunct New York World newspaper. So it's not the world as in a global thing, it's sponsored by the World newspaper. There you go, the more you know. So the Japanese are really into their baseball. And they're into it in a way that only the Japanese are into things. Their culture doesn't do things by halves. They have their own baseball championships called the Nippon Professional Baseball. And like most sports, they have their big three clubs. The Yomiuri Giants, the Saitama Cebu Lions, and the Fukuoka Softbank Hawks, who combined hold 46 of the 71 championships on offer. So they're the big three clubs. And then there's everyone else. And one of these also-ran clubs is the Hanshin Tigers, based out of Kansai. And just quickly, Japan doesn't do geographic clubs the way that we do in the West. So they don't have a team from a particular suburb or a particular city. Across all of their sporting codes, they tend to have their teams based on corporations rather than places. 
but let's not tumble too far down the Japanese cultural rabbit hole. So in Japanese baseball, the Hanshin Tigers are the perennial underdogs. They're the team that is everyone's second team. If you're not playing them, then you go for the Hanshin Tigers. They're not a particularly successful team, but they've got that Mighty Ducks charm to them. Everyone loves the Hanshin Tigers, mainly because they're losers. But in 1985, something crazy happened. A couple of years earlier, the Hanshin Tigers had signed an American batter by the name of Randy Bass. Randy Bass was a very good baseball player, but in the 1985 season, he hit a particularly rich vein of form and he was breaking all kinds of records left, right, and center. There was some serious Field of Dreams shit going down, and on the back of Bass's power hitting, the Hanshin Tigers went all the way to the championship game, and this plucky little team that nobody ever expected to win did the impossible, and they won. Hands in, Mighty Ducks, Quack Attack, the Hanshin Tigers were the 1985 Nippon champions. And the fans went wild. And when I say they went wild, I don't mean that like a sporting aphorism. What I mean is that they went off the deep end of crazy. Thousands and thousands of fans gathered outside the stadium, and they've been camped there for weeks already. And when the Tigers won, this massive crowd turned to celebrations that bordered on a riot. And there's nothing unusual there, right? Sports fans riot, that's what they do. Except the Japanese are a polite and repressed culture, so they do things a little differently. And one of the customs they had was thusly. When the team won, the gathering of fans went through and read out every player in the winning team. So they'd have someone on a microphone yelling out the names of the players of the victorious Hanshin Tigers. So they had Haruki Yoshitaki, Katsunori Tamari, Akinobu Muyami, and so on and so forth. And when this announcer read a player's name, the member of the crowd who most resembled that player would don that player's jersey and then run screaming and dive off a bridge into the Dotonbori Canal. And it needs to be said that the Dotonbori Canal is not a nice place. It's not a river or anything scenic. It's a drain water runoff. It's filthy. You have to wonder why anyone would do this. But then again, all sports have their weird rituals. So as they announced the players, everyone would look around and whoever looked the most like that player would kamikaze themselves into this canal. And it went on like this. You know, looking around, whoever looks like Haruki Yoshitaki jumps in the river. Whoever looks like Katsunori Tamari jump in the river. And it went on like this until the star player of the 1985 Hanshin Tigers was announced. And that star player was the All-American Randy Bass, an everyman American from Oklahoma. Now you got to remember, this was a crowd of tens of thousands of jubilant Japanese they very quickly realized that not a single one of them looked anything like Randy Bass. This is a problem. So this crowd, thinking on their feet, found a solution. There's another American cultural phenomenon in Japan that is even more popular than baseball. KFC. And as it happened, there was a KFC 
just across the road from where the reveling supporters had gathered, just outside this stadium. Thinking quickly, this crowd surmised that Randy Bass was an American Caucasian male with a beard, Colonel Sanders is an American Caucasian male with a beard, close enough is good enough, so what they did was they grabbed the plaster statue of the colonel that was at the front of the restaurant and, using him as an effigy for Randy Bass, threw the statue into the canal. Modern problems require modern solutions, right? All sorted. The next day, as the fans began to sober up, the reality of the situation dawned on them. They had sent Colonel Sanders to the bottom of a polluted irrigation canal, and there was no way that the grim specter of the colonel wasn't going to wreak an unholy vengeance from beyond the grave. Either that or they were remorseful for the destruction of property, either or. So that morning, the fans did their best to fish the colonel out of the canal. But being as polluted as it was, they just couldn't find him. The statue of the colonel was now in the cold embrace of Davy Jones. It had simply disappeared. And this is where the trouble began. The 1985 series was the first and the last time the Henshin Tigers would ever win the pennant. They swiftly resumed their losing ways and once again found themselves anchoring the floor of the NPB. Now, more rational minds might see this as a regression to the mean. Many sports have a problem with the distribution of talent, and money always wins out in the end. It's sad, but true. Moneyball might be one of my favorite stories of all time, but Billy Bean and his brave Oakland A's never won the pennant, and they probably never will. The teams with the money always win the long game, and the Hanshin Tigers simply didn't have the capital to compete with the big boys. They had one good season, and it was a truly magical time for Japanese baseball, but every fairy tale ends. They couldn't keep it up ever after. So that's the scientific way of looking at it. But there's a much more romantic way of viewing the Hanshin Tigers' fall from grace. And it's the way that the fans of the Hanshin Tigers look at it to this day. The way they see it, the only logical explanation for the drop-off in form of the Hanshin Tigers since 1985 is that the ghost of Colonel Harlan Sanders, enraged by the destruction of his holy effigy, has used his supernatural powers to curse the Hanshin Tigers. They will never again know the sucker of victory until the statue has been found and reassembled whole, like searching the galaxy for the Infinity Stones. I am inevitable. And if you know anything about the history of the real Colonel Harlan Sanders, the bulk of which I'm saving for a future show, then you'll know that this isn't outside the realm of possibility. Sanders was, when he was alive, a hair-trigger psychopath. It's only reasonable to assume that he gained greater powers when he was sent to hell and toppled the ruler there. In the early days of Kentucky Fried Chicken, Sanders had a business rival that kept graffitiing his billboards, so Colonel Sanders shot him. I shot him. Well, that's... What? Before he founded KFC, he was a lawyer. At least he was a lawyer until he was disbarred for beating the shit out of one of his own clients in the courtroom. I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if it turned out to be true that he had paranormal devil powers and an irrational hatred of the Japanese. Which is a line the Hanshin Tigers took. It's a perfectly logical conclusion that the ghost of Colonel Sanders is hunting you, ring-style, because you destroyed his statue in a fit of passion. 
fans began to dredge the canal looking for the errant idol. A local television station hired an experienced scuba diving crew to scour the depths for this lost Colonel Sanders statue. Fans of the Hanshin Tigers sent an envoy to the Kentucky Fried Chicken in question and petitioned the manager of the restaurant to pardon the team and lift the curse. The manager gave his blessing, but the colonel himself is a vengeful god and the curse endured. The Tigers have rallied at times over the years. They've had strong seasons in 1992 and 1999, but ultimately they were inevitably bundled out of the playoffs by the will of the capricious chicken god. This led to an increase in efforts to find the long-lost statue of the colonel. More dredging of the canal, more divers, more psychics brought in to point out the location of the missing statue. Finally, on March 10th, 2009, 24 years after he first walked the plank, the statue of Colonel Harlan Sanders was found in the lowest of the Dottenbori River. The divers who found it were not contracted by Hanshin in any way, but were instead working on an independent contract unrelated to this entire saga. One diver found something, others went out to check it out, and all of them were confused. They didn't know what it was that they found. They didn't know if it was a human body or a barrel or whatever it might be. It was complete mystery to them. But since 1985, the Dottenbori Canal has always had a small cadre of hardcore Hanshin Tigers fans staking out the river on the off chance that the colonel might appear. And it was this garrison of fans that informed the divers of the implications of this miraculous find. The statue of Colonel Sanders was dragged out of the canal, and for a brief, shining moment, it looked like the curse of the colonel might finally be lifted. There he was, covered in the slime and sediment of an industrial canal, but there he was, what was unmistakably Colonel Harlan Sanders. If not quite looking finger-licking good, then at least as good as a plastic statue that has spent a quarter of a century in a toilet can possibly look. And that's when the horror came across the fans of the Hanshin Tigers. They'd found the colonel, but they didn't find all of him. His left hand and glasses were still missing, still adorning the bed of a waterway anywhere from Dottenbori to Melbourne. The currents could have carried something that small anywhere on the planet. And so the search continues for the Hanshin Tigers, scouring the world to locate the lost glasses and left hand of Colonel Harlan Sanders because the anger of the blood god can never be sated until his avatar is once again whole and resumes its pride of place outside an innocuous Osaka KFC. The curse of the colonel lives on to this day, in more ways than one. The curse hasn't been lifted, of course, but it doesn't end there. On big game days for any sport all over the nation of Japan, Managers of KFCs will order that the statues of Colonel Sanders be brought inside to prevent any supernatural shenanigans. Some restaurants have even ordered that their statues be bolted down or even placed under armed guard to prevent any more curses from the chicken god. And the curse of the colonel has even been weaponized. The reason all of these security measures exist is because fans will often dress up as fans of other teams 
an attempt to sabotage a Colonel Sanders statue in a false flag attack to attempt to draw the supernatural anger of the Colonel down on the opposing team. The most notable example of this was in the 2002 Soccer World Cup, when Japan faced off against Tunisia. Japanese fans stole a Colonel Sanders statue from a KFC in Kobe, cut off its hands in a facsimile of Tunisian Sharia law, and then dumped it into a canal in order to curse the Tunisian national team. While we can debate the existence of the paranormal, it's worth noting that since the Japanese did this, the Tunisian soccer team, the Eagles of Carthage, have not once qualified for the finals of a World Cup. So maybe the curse is real. I mean, they never qualified for the finals before that either, and the Texas sharpshooter fallacy is the thing you can use to make something look real, but I'll let you decide. So there you go. If you're not already following Japanese baseball, perhaps there's a reason that you might take a cursory interest in it. I'd never recommend anyone to actually watch baseball because it's the most boring sport in history, and this is coming from someone who loves watching cricket, but maybe you might be interested in checking the headlines every now and then, because you never know what might be happening with the Hanshin Tigers. Perhaps they're at the bottom of the table and everything is right with the world, or perhaps the Tigers are about to win the championship, in which case the statue of the Colonel has been fully reassembled, opening a portal from our world to a hell dimension of infinite suffering through which the Colonel will reach his breaded claw and cover the world in 11 secret herbs and spices. And it's that kind of uncertainty that keeps life interesting. Boom! Did we like that? I'll bet we liked that. How could you not like that? And if you're not already a patron, there's plenty more where that came from over at patreon.com slash historygotime. It's the perfect Christmas gift for yourself. It's the perfect Christmas gift for a loved one. And most importantly, it's the perfect Christmas gift for me, Damo, the guy who has entertained you for nearly a thousand minutes this year. Your donations keep me rolling in whiskey, which is an important creative juice. Alright, now to the business at hand. If you're going to be in or around the fair city of Perth in the last week of January, from the 19th onwards, I'll be doing a live show at the Perth Fringe Festival. It's called History's 10 Worst Hitlers, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Some of you are already on board, you've already bought tickets, and I'm already getting excited because it's going to be a blast. That's another potentially awesome Christmas gift, if you need last minute Christmas gift ideas. And don't believe all of the people in the comments on Facebook telling you that they've already bought tickets and they need to offload them because those people are not real. Those people are bots and they want your credit card details so that they can go and fight in Ukraine. So, tickets available, Perth Fringe Festival, get on board. In the more modern sense of the Christmas season, I have started selling merch. That's right, caved in completely, what are you going to do? That's all over on Teespring. I've only got a couple of items on there right now, but more will be on the way depending on how much funky juice I drink over the silly season. So that's going to be an ever-expanding list, keep an eye out. And also, they stock digital copies of my two books. So if you don't like Amazon, and can't blame you for that, you can pick up a copy of Why You're Wrong or the book on comedy from there, and bam, straight on your device, in case you need any last-minute gift ideas. 
And all of this is available in an easily clickable format over on my Linktree. That's all at linktree.com slash historygotime. Linktree.com slash historygotime. Nice and easy to remember. That will point you at whatever you wish to be pointed at in regards to this melange of loose ideas that we have here. All right. I think I've whored myself out enough for one year. I'm starting to feel terrible. But in all seriousness, for just one moment, I freaking love each and every one of you people. I love all of you. You're all amazing. Thank you so much for listening to this show. All of you. I mean it. It is the absolute light of my life to be able to do these shows, which are already so much fun to do, but then to have them enjoyed by so many people at so many locations all over the world, it is just brings a tear to my eye. Seriously. Each and every one of you deserves to go to bed tonight with a nice, warm glow in your hearts. I thank you truly, madly, deeply. There we go. An autistic person expressing emotion. It's a Christmas miracle! Alright, I'm starting to ramble. Have a Merry Christmas, a Happy Hanukkah, a crazy Kwanzaa, a tip-top Tet, and a solemn and dignified Ramadan. I'll catch you all again in the new year. Except patrons, we've still got some fun stuff to do over the next couple of weeks, so stay tuned to your inbox for that. And if you've got FOMO about that, well, if only there was some way that you could access all of this bonus content for less than the price of a single eggnog. If only there was some way. Linktree.com slash historygotime. All right, later skaters, don't do anything I wouldn't do.